Turn us on and the satisfaction's guaranteed. Frank discussion with passion on CJD 800. Tonight on our relationship hour, uh, it's a pretty heavy duty topic, but I believe one that absolutely needs to be discussed. In the last six weeks in Montreal, there have been two cases of familicide, um, partners who kill their spouse or ex-spouse either, uh, or who kill their children or, uh, both. This is very disturbing clearly for any of us who have children, who just, if you're human, you have, if you have a heart, this is heartbreaking, uh, kind of news. It's hard for me to talk about this. Like it's a, it's a difficult topic to, address you know usually we keep it a bit lighter but i'm actually going to forego the uh, question period the where i answer your questions at the beginning unless you have something you really 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 need me to address today uh, then you can send it to me here at 514-800 but i wanted to spend enough time to be able to look at and cover some of the research so i went into um, I, I kind of dug a little deep and uh, looked at some of the research because the questions being asked is, like, what is the profile of such men who commit these heinous crimes? And it it does go far beyond the well, you know, he was mentally ill. It, it's it's due to a mental illness. What I've learned, it's far, far more complex than that. It is a multifaceted phenomenon with many factors at play. And I want to discuss that with you on, uh, on tonight's show. So I, I looked into the research, and, um, and this is what I want to share with you. And there have been some great reports done. There are some organizations in Montreal that, uh, that have looked at this, uh, like government things and... Um, studies done, lots of research uh, done out of the University of Guelph, people who have done meta-analyses of all the research, so taking a look at all of them and, and coming up with a kind of a, a, an overview of all the research that's done on that to answer this question. Uh, essentially, what we want to be able to do is create either uh, prevention programs or uh, certainly there are a lot of places where uh, victims of domestic violence, those who are not killed, of course, that's not the usual, right? It still um, doesn't happen as frequently as regular domestic violence does. But we need to have this conversation because it's tied into so many things like misogyny and um, and, and domestic violence and narcissistic abuse and so many people find themselves in uh, abusive relationships and somewhere tonight I also want to talk about how you can recognize the signs of this but if you're listening and you find yourself in a situation there is help out there and there are uh, there's a whole list of shelters that you can go to that offer assistance that will that even offer uh, legal advice and accompaniment if there, if police needs to be involved you can go to domesticshelters.org and it will give you the list if you just do domesticshelters.org uh, slash help slash Montreal like you can type in which where you're located it will give you a list of the uh, the shelters in Montreal and the organizations. The other place too, the, and they all have hotlines. Um, SOS Violence Conjugale is another 
uh, wonderful resource that are there 24-7 and um, that can offer assistance as well. I just, it's important that if you feel in the least bit in danger that you reach out. Um, oftentimes people say, no, no, my partner would never do that. Or, you know, we, how many times do we hear, but he seemed like such a nice person or what have you, but we'll look at some of the risk factors along the way. Right now, I want to share with you uh, some statistics just so you we put it all into uh, perspective here and we're all on the same page but there was a study done called the Canadian Domestic Homicide Prevention uh, Initiative and they wrote a paper or a, a document called One is Too Many Trends and Patterns in Domestic Homicides in Canada between 2010 and uh, 2015. So in that period of time there were 418 cases of domestic homicide involving 476 victims. So there were 427 adult victims, so 90% of them, and 49 victims were 17 years and younger, so they were uh, the children. Females comprised 79% of the adult uh, victims, first of all. Uh, the majority of the accused, close to 90%, were male. So it doesn't mean that women don't ever do this, but 90% of these cases are uh, perpetuated by, by male offenders. Uh, of the 443 accused individuals, 21% committed suicide and another 7% attempted suicide following the homicide. And I know certain stories are coming to mind. There were some high profile cases, but it seems like we hear these stories all too frequently, don't we? Uh, I mean, it, listen, when you think that in five years there were 418 cases of, uh, of such and 476 deaths due to domestic uh, homicide, that's pretty, uh, pretty scary. The average age of a person perpetrating this is about 40 years old. The majority of the victims were in a current intimate relationship with the accused. So they were together, 61% were together, 26% were separated or estranged. And in, 60, and in the 61% in which the victim and the accused were in a relationship right now, like currently, 21% had evidence that separation was imminent or pending. So this is important. This idea of losing and the separation is a big risk factor here that um, I will address a little in more detail. 37 children were killed within the context of the domestic homicide. I mean, these are just some of the uh, statistics. Plus, most victims were killed in their own home, either the home they shared with their accused or in their own home. Um, and those are some of the, just some of the, the, the main statistics coming up. I want to talk about uh, a lot of things tonight. I want to talk about the gender-based motives. What are some of the motives uh, for committing such a crime? We're talking about uh, familicide, basically, where partners, uh, this is about partners who kill their spouse or ex-spouse and their children. 
and we'll go into detail a little bit. We'll also look at the, the stereotype of the crimes of passion. What does that mean? Plus signs to watch out for. So there's lots to cover tonight and I hope we, we do get a chance and, and please share your stories, your input, your thoughts. Like if this would be nice if we can do this together. 514-800. A safe place to work out the kinks in any relationship. It's passion with CGAD 800's Dr. Lori Batito. Tonight we're talking about a very serious and very uh, heavy-duty topic, and that is uh, familicide. Familicide is a type of murder or murder-suicide in which a perpetrator kills multiple close family members in quick succession um, most often children, relatives, spouse, siblings, or parents. In half the cases, the killer usually kills themselves in a murder-suicide. I'm bringing this up now because in the last six weeks, there has been two such cases in Montreal. And it brings to light, again, it's it's a topic that we need to we can't just put our heads in the sand. Like we need to talk about this and we need to make people aware that domestic violence that goes, that goes to the extreme happens here. And we can't let this happen. We've got to be able to stand up, talk about this, uh, be aware of some of the signs, uh, get police more involved. Um, I, I don't even know, but we've got to do uh, something, something. Now, like this uh, texture writes, I'd like to know how many of these people were on serious drugs or recently lost lots of money gambling. So those are two, certainly two factors, but we need to talk about this because often people will say, well, these people have mental illnesses or they were mentally ill and that's, that's the cause. And that's not, that's not the full story. Uh, there is increasing recognition that this is a multifaceted phenomenon that arise out of the interplay of individual, family, community, sociocultural factors. Um, it's just cannot be explained by one single factor like mental uh, illness or substance abuse or, or poverty or childhood maltreatment uh, or even factors at a, a single level like there's multiple factors not just about a, an individual's age or race ethnicity employment status so there's a lot at play here which is why it makes it so so darn complicated um, but based on a review of the literature from 1960 to 2015 that looked at the role of uh, mental illness in these family homicides this is what was taken out of these uh, out of the literature there was mental illness in 50% of those that the the uh, men that killed because 90 plus percent were men when parents uh, kill children so 50% of those had a mental illness when spouses kill spouses it's only 10% were shown to have a mental illness. So it's not that this is something that happens 
like that you can just a blanket statement anybody who who commits such an act has a a mental illness there are other um, motives other motivations here and we need to look at some of these and many of these are gender based motives they kill because they are women as well and we cannot neglect that that part of it and we you know the whole uh, Mark Lepine and the Polytechnic massacre. What was that about? That was about misogyny. They were killed because they were women, uh, and in domestic violence cases, it's also because they are women and the role they played in in many cases. Uh, text writes in, hello, Dr. Laura, a very difficult subject, but one that must be opened. I think there are many things that can drive a human over the deep end. Life today are a factor. Work and everything is rush, rush. Lots of people keep things inside themselves and it is a constant buildup, eventually like a bomb ready to go off. Then when something happens that is too close to home, such as a wife or girlfriend leaving, the fuse is lit. Jealousy, rage, and every other negative emotion comes into play, then I think they lose it. After they realize what they did, they realize there is no tomorrow. It's sad that some people lose control. Is there a solution? I think we all need to slow down a bit and open up more instead of holding it all in for so long, too long. Some people are time bombs that you cannot see. Like, I agree with you that all of these things are potential factors, but what makes some people time bombs and others not? Because how many people suffer uh, the rush rush or, uh, you know, ha- have uh, breakups? Like, most people who, uh, where there's a divorce or a spouse leaves or what have you, don't go and commit homicide. Like, we have to be able to kind of, take out what the the factors are in all of this. So there was a study done at the um, uh, Birmingham City University where they divided the cases that they looked at into four groups uh, or types of killer. So they looked at a typology. the, The first one was the anomic killer where he sees his family purely as a status symbol and when his economic status collapses he sees them as surplus to requirements i don't know how often we see that one but nonetheless the disappointed killer seeks to punish the family for not living up to his ideals of family life the self-righteous killer destroys the family to exact revenge upon the mother in an act that he blames on her. I guess this is where the separation one is that you see. And finally, the paranoid killer kills their family in what they imagine to be an attempt to protect them from something even worse. So the paranoid killer would be the one that would have uh, a mental illness, actually, uh, which, in according to st- uh, studies, is about 10%. Um, except for those that, uh, those who kill their children, 50% of them have some kind of, um, of mental illness. Uh, Texter writes in, I keep thinking about the case of Gitzchukat who murdered his two kids. Yeah, another heartbreaking, heartbreaking story. Uh, what he did was horrific. It was not their fault, but I try to put my mind in the place you find out your partner and your best friend have been screwing around behind your back for almost two years. The same friend who bought tickets to a game one night is running away with your partner the night uh, you are working. What should have been his course of action against his wife? 
There should have been nothing against his wife. These things do happen. People get betrayed all the time, unfortunately. It should never lead to the murder of anybody. It should never be that kind of punishment. They are, you're still an individual. You could leave a partner. You are not bound there. Um, I mean, I understand someone's distress when they certainly find out like it's a, it's a betrayal trauma. I'm not negating that. I'm not minimizing that, but, but leading, you know, what leads somebody to really go that far? I don't think that's in all of us. I'm sorry. I, I just don't. Um, why some and some not most think ahead and realize what an insane thought the small percentage do not think just act on emotion, but too late. So there you do. Uh, what do you mean? What should you do? Are you, uh, kidding me? Well, you don't do what he did. What is the course of action? Uh, is that what you're referring to? The course of action against his wife? He should leave his wife if he's finding out that she is having an affair. No kidding. And go for help to deal with the trauma of, of that kind of betrayal. I see this in my office every day, by the way. Um, funny how they all blame someone else and never assume. Someone else says it all starts with the courts and the law. Far too often domestic violence cases end up before a judge prior to them becoming fatal and are handled with a mere slap on the wrist. Tougher laws need to be put into place um, before it becomes fatal. I'm with you on that, and I think it is a problem. In fact, um, in fact, you know, this whole stereotype of, the, of crimes of passion, uh, which are very different, that... It doesn't apply in terms of the, uh, the, the, uh, like during the trial and you kind of get, you know, get some points when it's a crime of passion. So you get a lesser, uh, sentence, which is very different than if you had murdered, let's say a stranger that would not, uh, happen. Uh, no, somebody asked that question. I thought it was ridiculous. Yes, it was ridiculous. Um, why was she screwing around on him? Maybe he was a horrible partner to her and she knew he would take drastic action if she left. Let's not blame the mom. Please, yes, let's not. She has suffered the loss of her two babies. It, first of all, <laughs> why should it be here? We don't know what was going on. Was he an abusive partner? Was he a narcissistic partner? There's so much we don't know of, of what goes on, which is why it is so complex you can't just, you know, it's not just one blanket statement. You just can't. And by the way, the biggest, um, the biggest predictor of this kind of action is a history of domestic violence. So we do, we, we can do something is catch this before it goes drastic. So we need to take domestic violence situations very seriously. And the police have to do, be serious about it. The law has to, we have to work better um, with that since the biggest predictor is in fact a history of domestic violence. Um, somebody who has, if the partner is possessively, like a possessively jealous type of person, also 
a risk factor. If you add, the, the, the deadliest combination is a jealous substance abuser with a gun, basically. That is the, the deadliest combination. There are factors that are related to domestic violence, clearly. Um, poverty, unemployment, family stressors, of course, all of that mixed with everything else that's going on can put you at risk. But there's one other element in this. They call this over-enmeshment. This is when a partner view, views their family members as possessions that they control and they don't see any boundaries between their identity, their wife, and their kids. So they cannot bear to leave the pain behind, so they take the family with them. And that is what they call over-enmeshment. I want to talk a little bit about, uh, well, uh, some of the um, steps that a, uh, a homicidal or a, a familicide happens. Somebody did a study on that and looked at the, the steps that they go through. So I want to um, share that with you coming up next and some of your thoughts here. From the pleasure and the politics to the hang-ups and the heartbreak, you're listening to Passion, CJD 800. In the last six weeks in Montreal, there have been two cases of familicide, partners who kill their families, their spouse or, or and their children. So I thought as heavy as this is a topic, it needs to be discussed and uh, I just so I looked into a little bit more because people are asking questions like who what is the profile of this person is it simply a question of mental illness and we just have to do more about on the mental illness side and then as I dug deeper I found that uh, when spouses kill spouses only about 10% it's uh, due to some uh, mental illness when partners uh, kill when parents kill children 50% 50% of the time, there is a, uh, a mental illness. There's um, this researcher that looked at 372 killings of spouses and came up with, uh, and she said that in almost all of them, they followed a, uh, like, a, a steps, like it, it evolved. There was an evolution to the homicide. And I'm going to share that with you. There was a pre-relationship uh, history of stalking or abuse by the perpetrator. The romance developed uh, quickly into a serious relationship. The relationship becoming dominated by coercive control. This is a big factor here, by the way. Uh, a trigger to threaten the perpetrator's control. For example, the relationship ends or the perpetrator gets into financial difficulty. Then there's an escalation, which is an increase in the intensity or frequency of the partner's control tactics, such as by stalking or threatening suicide. The perpetrator has a change in thinking, choosing to move on either through revenge or by homicide. There's a planning phase. 
The perpetrator might buy weapons or seek opportunities to get the victim alone. And then the homicide. The perpetrator kills his or her partner and possibly hurts others, such as the victim's children. She found this in almost all of the cases that she examined, 372 killings. That's, that's a big sample size of this. Then I was looking at um, another study that looked at in cases where it was not premeditated. So in what I just described to you, <clears throat> there seems to be a premeditation. In 10% of the cases where they kill, a, uh, where a spouse kills an ex-spouse or a spouse, it's um, not premeditated. It is, here's where you find the crimes of passion. In the heat of passion, generally involving drugs or alcohol, it's driven by jealousy or revenge following a split, could be due to psychotic disorders. Uh, schizophrenia or bipolar disorders, they seem to be overrepresented in this population as well. There may be a severe psychosis where there is paranoia, meaning that uh, they believe the family member is, is somehow plotting against them and so they have to kill them uh, or be killed, that kind of thing. But that is not... According to research, that's 10% of the cases where spousal homicide occurs. A couple of texters wrote in here, I remember being totally outraged with my wife to the point I wanted to hit her. I left and went for a walk, realized how petty our, our argument was, went home, hugged her, told her I love her, learned that the best thing is once the fire is lit, see it and cool down and put it out. Never happened again. Good. See, it's not everybody who needs to lose control, thankfully. Uh, there was a murder in Ontario by a Middle Eastern, killed wife and daughter, claimed it was an honor killing. Remember that about two years ago? Yes, and there was the other one, which was a bigger familicide. It was more of family annihilation, really, it was the kids and the mother and the other uh, the other partner by I think it was the the I don't remember the the name of the family the Shafi I don't remember anyhow it was uh, another supposed honor killing um, as well but it, that's not the only place it happens it happens you know within all ethnicities within like it, it doesn't really have a uh, <laughs> a profile like that at all. Uh, but it's, uh, it's scary. It's, uh, it's very scary. And, and somebody else asked, um, how do I, how do you find out if the person you're with has some sort of record or crazy stuff? Well, oftentimes they don't have a record of killing anybody else. Uh, or you, you may not know that they had, uh, been violent with their, their, their previous spouse, let's just say. But there are certain warning signs to watch out for. And this is if we talk about, in general, if we talk about domestic violence. But some of these, some of these domestic violence cases could turn extreme and, and, and tragic, unfortunately. So if you notice any of these signs, you can be sure this is an unhealthy relationship. Of course, if somebody is abusing alcohol or drugs, 
right away that is an unhealthy relationship there. But there are other things that you need to be aware of, like um, aggressiveness. Uh, physical abuse is one type of aggressive behavior. So any, and any type of physical force, it's not just about hitting or slapping. What about pushing, grabbing, spoke to a woman today, you know, her husband was so upset with her. He just, he put her, her was choking her hands on her throat, um, yanking her off a bed. Like this is aggressiveness. This is also physical abuse. Uh, cruel behavior toward other people or animals is a sign of aggressiveness. Um, displays of anger that involve hitting, kicking, throwing objects as well. So if you feel frightened or intimidated in a relationship, that should be a sign right there that uh, there's problems here and probably need to get out of that situation. Uh, control. Power or controlling behavior, like if there's an imbalance of power in your relationship or controlling behavior, that's clearly unhealthy because one person is viewing the other person as unequal or inferior. And in a controlling relationship, the other person expects you to conform to their expectations of how you should look, how you should behave, what you should do, all of that stuff. They need that control. So imagine when, um, they lose control by you leaving, for example, then that could uh, lead into something dangerous. Someone who has exhibits a lot of possessive behavior, uh, who isolates their partner, who has extreme forms of jealousy. They, and, and they'll use, they'll say things like, I'm jealous like this because I love you so much. And I worry. And it, that's not about, that's not, that's possessiveness. That's not about love. Absolutely not. Um, and then we can go into other things that involve more narcissistic partners, which I will share, uh, coming up. So if we're looking at, uh, narcissism or, or someone with an, uh, a, like a severe narcissistic personality that also is a danger and a risk factor. Passion with Dr. Lori Batito on CJAD 800. Tonight, talking about domestic violence, but in its most extreme form, familicide or spousal homicide, or familicide is when it's the spouse or the ex-spouse partner and the children. A lot of texts coming in here that I want to share about this. Uh, The word planning reminds me of the Shafia family, that's the name I was looking for, that were killed through the honor honor crime, which is born out of the Middle Eastern ideologies. Is there data that proves familicide is based on religious beliefs? No, it's not just based on religious uh, beliefs, but if you want to look at the breakdown, because they looked at indigenous populations, they looked at immigrants in Canada, they looked at, they, they actually, the government broke it all down in this study. I'm going to give you the website. You can get all that information. I just don't have enough time to go through that now. It's called femicideincanada.ca. That's the website, Femicide. F-E-M-I-C-I-D-E in Canada dot C-A and you'll, you can get the entire report. It's uh, the report is, is uh, called hashtag call it 
femicide, understanding gender-related killings of women and girls in Canada. So that uh, will give you enough of that and information. Hi, Dr. Lori. I am a survivor of domestic abuse. Abusers are very good manipulators and see their spouse as their possession. See, that's, to me, that's a pathological degree of narcissism. It's all about power and control. Leaving is the most dangerous time and needs to be done very carefully. Sometimes victims don't even realize they are in an abusive situation and therefore don't realize the danger. To stop this, we need to educate young women to recognize the red flags. Yes, very true. Abusers are very aware of what they are doing as it is almost always done behind closed doors. You're right. And the bruising and the, are done in spots that are not maybe not so visible and... You're very right. But when you talk about the manipulation, the possession, the power, the control, this is when we're talking about, to me, pathological narcissism in that way. A couple, and I'll share a little bit of information on that, but a couple more texts here. Dr. Laura, you may be spooking many married women. Not everyone is in a perfect relationship. They may be sleeping with one eye open now. Well, you know, you should be aware of who you're sleeping with. Do you remember the movie Sleeping with the Enemy? It was pretty scary. Um, how to help my daughter get out, steals her money and breaks her phone, isolates her completely. Obviously somebody who has, is in a, your daughter's in a domestic violence situation. You can give her the names of shelters. You can go to domesticshelters.org. There's a list of shelters all, all around wherever location you want. There's a whole bunch there, uh, and they have emergency numbers. SOS Violence Conjugale is uh, a hotline. Their hotline is uh, 1-800-363-9010, 800-363-9010, and they uh, will help with every aspect of this. So um, she needs to get help, absolutely. I remember working with a woman, you know, somebody was talking about you have to extricate yourself very carefully. And uh, this woman slowly, slowly took her stuff out of the house, all her necessities, because she was afraid if she just said, I'm moving or I'm leaving, that he would do something. And she kept her gym bag and she said, I'm going to the gym, but would fill her gym bag with her stuff, brought it to uh, another location. She had rented an apartment and uh, then eventually just never came back home, like left, wrote a note and that was it. Uh, But she had to do it to, to, to ensure her safety. Uh, my coworker was killed by her husband. He had previously killed two other people, but got off in court. When she found this out, she tried to leave and he shot her. He fit a lot of the criteria you have mentioned. Holy crap. Uh, that's heavy duty. Perhaps you should emphasize if you think you have anger management issues, get help. Don't wait till you lose control. Well, you said it. Thank you for, uh, for saying that. Yes. If you think that you're in that position that you feel you could lose control, then please. Unfortunately, some of the narcissists, um, are not, not likely to get help because they feel superior and they do not think they need help. And they, the way they perceive life and they perceive their partner is in fact as their possessions. And so they don't think they have an issue and they will blame, often they will blame others for their abusive behavior. You made me upset. If you hadn't acted that way, then I wouldn't have had to punch you. Um, it's because of you that I'm like this. Those are very typical 
remarks, comments made by abusers, unfortunately. Uh, a woman must never tell a violent man she is going to leave. This is the most dangerous time she sh- uh, the most dangerous time she should leave. Yes, but this is why we have shelters, women's shelters, domestic violence shelters. This is why we have them there. They protect you. They are in secret locations and they will help you. They they have social workers and people to help you navigate the system as well, even accompany you if necessary. Uh, for to the police and with lawyers and and whatever else uh, you need. It's heartbreaking to me when I like just seeing some of these texts of, of people who have gone through this stuff. I you know it's the kind of thing you want to never exist out there, but it does, and we need to fight it. And the only way I know how is to educate, and and I do this here. So, you know, having some of your attention and being able to talk about that, and if one person one person listening can can get saved because they found the right help or they were they were motivated to go and and finally do something about their situation then it's all worth it and and it's why I do this and why we we need to keep talking about this even stuff that's ugly to see and heartbreaking and we don't want to hear all this bad news and but we need to we need to because we need to change we need to change this world we live in um just a couple more things like i was talking about uh narcissism as also um a a risk factor right so if your partner is has a, a pathological degree of narcissism you're talking about someone who uh, unfortunately will be cruel and violent and neglectful or exploitative they will use intimidation they will be bullies so they may not hurt you physically directly but they may throw things break things they will scare you scare tactics are used to frighten their spouses into um, into submission so uh even though th- there's no bodily harm per se it's as if it was occurring because it is so threatening they will often isolate uh, they uh, limit their spouse's ability to escape dangerous situations for example um they might drive rec- recklessly with no escape out of uh, out of the car they they like they find ways to manipulate to keep the person there they may restrain you holding the person back actually uh physically locking locking you out not you know tying you up not giving you the keys not allowing this escape Uh, then there's the physical force and of course the most dangerous stage is when a life is in jeopardy the intimidation and isolation becomes almost every day to that uh, spouse that they become sometimes a little numb to the effects and so don't recognize the actual danger that they're in of potential um, uh, being killed and that's when uh, of course it can be uh, quite dangerous so uh, and when the narcissist feels they are losing like losing control if a spouse has left for example or has even you know it's not enough that you got a, a an order from the court to stay away like they don't seem to care unfortunately um so look this doesn't happen 
with every person who is a, a, a narcissist. Not all narcissists will resort to physical abuse or escalate beyond the intimidation. I think it's important to understand that. Not all physical abusers are narcissists. Some of them do have other mental illnesses. But a narcissistic physical abuser is not the kind of person you take lightly. You will not change them. You will not make them better. Make a decision for yourself. Get away. Make sure you get the help. And I'm going to repeat the places for help. One place that I recommend, SOS Violence Conjugale. They have a hotline uh, and an emergency shelter, and they can help you out there. 800-363-9010. If you are looking for a shelter, go to domesticshelters.org and you can put in that you're looking for somewhere in Montreal or if you're in Ottawa, wherever you are, and they will give you the listing and the phone numbers and the emergency hotlines and the services they offer uh, in your area. So domesticshelters.org and SOS Violence Conjugale. You are not alone. There is help out there. Um, reach out, speak out, and um, and my heart goes out to anybody who's experiencing uh, this kind of uh, this kind of life. Thank you for your attention tonight. I know it wasn't easy, and uh, it was a hard topic to uh, to discuss for sure. A thank you to our technical producer tonight, Chris Aiken. Uh, you can connect with me on social media at Dr. Lori Batito or through my website, drlori.com. By the way, we're going to put up this podcast as all the other shows are there. But if you know someone who is going through this, have them listen. Maybe they'll get something out of it. Maybe they'll learn something uh, and uh, they can listen to it at their own, uh, at their own time, on their own time. Coming up next here on CJD the CTV National News. Have a great rest of the evening and remember to live your life with passion.